You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Greetings, everyone. Peter Maravellis here. On behalf of City Lights booksellers and publishers and the City Lights Foundation, I would like to welcome you to City Lights Live, our virtual reading series that follows in the footsteps of our in-store calendar We continue to feature the works of authors we know and love through readings, discussions, and forums. And as is customary, at the outset of each event, I would like to mention we are beaming to you from the unceded ancestral homelands of the Ramatishaloni peoples, also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We'd like to take this moment to acknowledge and offer our respect to those who have come before us as stewards of the land. So as many of you know, City Lights is a publisher as well as a bookstore. And it is always an auspicious and happy occasion when we can celebrate one of our own books. And tonight, we are celebrating the book launch in celebration of the publication of the new collection of poetry by the late surrealist poet, Joyce Mansour. It's called Emerald Wounds, Selected Poems, and it brings together a career-spanning collection of her work. The collection has been translated by Emily Morehouse. Uh, She's produced a biographical introduction to accompany the work and really introducing a a whole new generation of readers to this really significant surrealist poet worthy of wider appreciation. So Emily Morehouse will be joining us here tonight. She is an educator, a writer, a translator, and environmentalist. She's going to be in conversation with City Lights' very own Garrett Caples. Garrett is a poet and senior editor here at City Lights. He's the curator of the Spotlight Poetry Series, and he's edited numerous books for the press. He's a very, very gifted poet, as I said, in his own right. Most recently, uh, he had a book come out called Lovers of Today, published by Way of Books. Before we begin, I would like to let you know we're going to be posting links in the chat function of your Zoom dashboard with which you may purchase copies of Emerald Wounds. And I'd also like to suggest that you please switch to speaker view as to enhance your viewing experience. You can do that by the prompt in the upper right-hand corner of your Zoom dashboard. You get to avoid that kind of Hollywood squares effect. We will have some time at the end for Q&A, so do post your questions and comments in the chat function where I will retrieve them. So please join us now in giving a warm welcome to Emily Morehouse and Garrett Caples. I turn it over to you, Garrett, to get everything started. All right, thank you, Peter. And uh, thank you all for uh, coming through to the the reading tonight. We're very excited about this book. Uh, I just wanted to show it real quick. This is, uh, this is the volume. It's a selected poems, uh, Emerald Wounds by Joyce Mansour. <clears throat> and uh, Emerald Wounds, it's been a long time in the making. And, uh, and we want to start, we want to thank uh, Joyce Mansour's son, Cyril, for making the book possible, because uh, he had given us all the permissions we needed. And uh, Joyce Mansour, she has been indirectly connected to City Lights since at least the 1970s. You know, through, through different uh, surrealist figures, uh, we've had uh, relationships with like Philip Lamontia, Nanos Valeridis, Marie Wilson, Ted Jones, the Chicago surrealists, and particularly through uh, an editor and translator named Mary Beach, who used to do some books at City Lights. She uh, translated an entire volume of Joyce Mansour in 1978 for a small press called Cherry Valley Editions. And uh, she she translated um, uh, Carré Blanc, and uh, it's a hard book to find nowadays. But it's a it's a good it's a just devoted to that volume. Uh, 
and her 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 translation is called flashcard, even though our, we use a different uh, translation for that. But um, so she she goes back in City Lights history, and it's you know it's fitting that we are having the chance to put her out now. So in 1962, Andre Breton identified Joyce Mansour as one of the three most significant surrealist poets to have emerged in the 20 years leading up to then. She was born Joyce Adez in London in 1928 to Syrian Jewish parents. And she grew up in Cairo among the English speaking uh, upper class there. And to give you some idea of how the sort of level of upper class she came from, uh, her family's house is now the Greek embassy in Cairo. Uh, so, you know, it's, it was pretty uh, large and opulent. Uh, when she was 15, her mother died of cancer, and then she married at 18, and her first husband died only six months later. And so these tragedies seem to have propelled her to becoming a poet. Um, you know, she started writing in response to, uh, to these deaths, it seems. And in the late 40s, she met her second husband, who was a a, uh, a Franco-Egyptian named Samir Mansour. He's also very wealthy, a businessman. And uh, she stopped uh, writing in English and began writing and speaking in French. And she renounced her previous poetry. And in the French-speaking aristocracy of, of Egypt that was around back then, uh, she met the founder of uh, what was an Egyptian surrealist group led by George Heinen. And... Uh, and Heinen had been in Paris and was sort of officially affiliated with the with the Paris Surrealist Group, and he had plenty of uh, Surrealist friends over there, including a former group member named George Hunet, uh, who's an art artist, visual artist, poet, uh, and you know was sort of uh, an expelled Surrealist, but still in those circles. And he uh, he brought her book to Pierre uh, Segur's and. Uh, Segura's published her first book in 1953, and it was called Cree, or uh, Screams, we'd say in English. And, and after, uh, after the book came out, uh, it caught the attention of Andre Breton, and it was reviewed in what was the Surrealist um, Journal of the time, which was called Medium. And uh, um, at the same time, the Mansours were permanently exiled from Cairo due to the revolution and end up settling in Paris for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so, so by 1956, she's living in Paris and she, she plays an incredibly vital role in the Surrealist movement in the, in the post-World War II era. And she's part of every uh, exhibition and every publication until the group dissolves in 1969. And uh, she was particularly close with uh, Andre Breton and they seem to have exerted pretty strong influence over each other. You know, because Breton, obviously older, was, was sort of mentor to her. But Mansour, you know, was able to get him to do things that other people couldn't. Like, uh, especially, you know, Breton was great at uh, at having dramatic breaks with other surrealists. And she, uh, in several cases, was able to patch these things up, which was not a small uh, thing to be able to do. So artists like, uh, like Roberto Mata, sort of rejoin the Surrealist group after having previously been banished by Breton. So she's a, she's a real important part of the social fabric of the group in the post-war era. And after the group dissolves, she continues to write and publish, and she collaborates with a lot of uh, visual artists like Pierre Alachinsky and Enrico uh, Bailly, 
uh, Jorge Camacho, Wilfredo Lam, and uh, Pierre Molinier. And, uh, and she, she ultimately died uh, prematurely. She died in 1986. She was only 58 years old. She, uh, she died of cancer. But she, she was a crucial part of surrealism in the uh, post-World War II era. Because she's one of the few poets whose poetry really could be set alongside the classic surrealists like Benjamin Pere or René Char, someone like that, um, or Eloard, you know, like, uh, you know, not not every uh, poet in the later era was as uh, as strong as they were, but Mansour was, and Bertrand knew it. And so uh, she was really featured among the poetry, the poets in the uh, in the latter days of, sur of the Surrealist group. And she's, you know, her poetry is fierce and erotic and morbid and, you know, very much counter to received notions of feminine conduct. Uh, she's very, uh, the fact that she's ahead of her time might be attested to the, the fact that people are really uh, giving this book a warm reception so far. We've got a lot of attention. It, it, uh, it you know, very much deserved by her uh, poetry. So, um, so, you know, this is just a selection. She's got a lot of writing. This is a start of getting her, you know, circulating in English again. And uh, we have, you know, our book has a lot of stuff that's never been translated before. And, it, and you know, it doesn't hit every book, but it spans the career. So, uh, so yeah, so that is Emerald Wounds in Joyce Mansour. And so now with great pleasure, uh, City Lights wants to present Emily Morehouse, who translated our collection. And she will uh, she'll read her translations and she will also read one of the poems also in French, just so you can hear the, uh, the sound of Mansour herself. So um, please uh, welcome Emily Morehouse. Hi, thank you, Garrett. And thank you, Peter. And thank you to City Lights for uh, organizing this event. Uh, I'm very excited to be here um, and reading some selections from, from the book. Here it is again, Emerald Wounds. Um, uh, I think we'll be doing a bit of a discussion with Garrett afterwards. So I'm just going to launch right into uh, reading uh, some of the poems. Um, I've selected uh, poems that sort of span the career. So um, there'll be some from her earlier writing and um, also um, some of the last poems that she wrote. Um, and what you'll notice is that early on, some of the earlier ones are quite short. Um, and as we get um, going in her career, they get sort of longer and longer and longer, um, which is uh, interesting as well. Um, okay, so um, I will be starting with, uh, with some poems from her first collection, Screams, um, which uh, Garrett was talking about. Uh, and this first one is called well, it's some, they, they were untitled, so I'll just be reading the first line. Um, uh, so the first one is a blue dog whose nose is buried in the sand. Blue dog whose nose is buried in the sand, head filled with cries of the hunt for love, of wasted love. The foliages of the forest are used to it. They hunt it with their red hands. Blue dog, unrescued animal, feed yourself with the blood of the poor. To be loved, one must be cruel. Animal, if you wish to be domesticated, sell your soul 
to men. Fever, your sex is a crab. Fever, your sex is a crab. Fever, the cats feed on your green nipples. Fever, the quick movement of your lower back, the eagerness of your cannibalistic tissues, the grip of your tubes that quiver and cry out. Tear my leather fingers, snatch at my pistons. Fever, dead sponge bloated with softness. My mouth runs along your horizon, a traveler unafraid on a frenzied sea. How many loves made your bed cry out? How many loves made your bed cry out? How many years have wrinkled your eyes? Who emptied your drained breasts? I watched you with my crushing eyes and my illusions burst, leaving behind them your old age that cannot answer my questions. Okay, so uh, this is actually from her second collection, uh, Shreds. I am the night, this night of space frozen by the cold idiocy of the moon. I am money, money that makes money without knowing why. I am man, man who pulls the trigger and shoots emotion to live better. Dance with me, little cello. Dance with me, little cello, on the magic purple grass during nights of the full moon. Dance with me, little music note, among the hard-boiled eggs, the violins, the enemas. Sing with me, little witch, for the stones go in circles around the soup bowls where drowns the music of streetlight. The tide is rising under the full moon of the blind. The tide is rising under the full moon of the blind. Alone with the seashells in the murky water of daybreak. Alone on the beach, my bed is slowly drowning. The tide is rising in the sky reeling with love. Toothless in the forest, I wait for my death, silent. And the tide is rising in my throat where a butterfly dies. So this is from a collection called uh, Hapas, um, Arabs, it's called Arab Song. The eye shifts in the night when death arrives. Oh, the white dazzling madness of wings we will never wear. Padded with silence, they brush against the arm on the pillow and open a round eye to the night of the impalpable. 
the cold woven tuberoses wait on my pupil. I see the moving wallpaper of the horizon shining and restless, like the quivering skin on a body revealing itself. The hushed swell of my abdomen braces with a twisted fear. I sneeze but do not move, and the eyes that cloister my dreams swims and signal. The eye that invades my night, the night, the night, the storm, the blinding eye with strange blooms, the eye sick with images. Okay, so this one I'll be reading in French and English. L'amoureuse guerrière, trois ans d'ilamante, et ainsi qu'une boutonnière lentement entrouverte, pour se contracter encore en joyeuse spasmodie, elle sourit. Le fil filé déroule, dénudant les reins de la innocente tendresse. Trois ans de construction et saillie solitaire. Seule demeure, l'immense ameublement ébréché. Fier débris inutile, du tronçon masculin attelé à sa besogne. Échappe-t-il aux pattes ravisseuses de la menthe Comme elle, je dévorerai celui qui violera mes flancs, aux pulsations barbares. Comme elle, je grignoterai mon frère. Il faut savoir attendre pour voir se venger, imiter les insectes pour plaire. Woman warrior in love. Three years, said the mantis, and like a buttonhole slowly left ajar, so as to tighten again in spastic joy, she smiles. The woven thread unravels, exposing the loins of a whinnying tenderness. Three years of constructions and solitary protrusions. All that remain are the massive chipped furnishings, proud and useless wreckage of the masculine section hitched to its labor. Does he escape the ravishing paws of the mistress? Like her, I would devour the one who might broadside me with barbarous thro throbs. Like her, I would nibble my brother. One must learn to wait to take revenge imitate insects in order to please. <clears throat> the hairy hour. Why age? The rushing waters of folly flow across your handsome face. There are words that spread, others that stand erect, like the anathema. Four white horses spurt from a milk bottle and gallop around your one and only pleasure. Your missed connection at the Place de Lima, your moist brow like a skating rink with blazes of an actor your nose, your mouth, your cold heart. 
The uncertainties of the dream place a heart on your face, like a tree on the verge of mild madness. The blue loses itself in the black of incurable illness. Day dawns too early to please the dreamer. The insect crawls up the steep walls like tomorrow. The corset impregnated with sleep. And on its paws, the ruby red mud of the Seine. Why age? Smells also change their names. Only the love in your mouth still tastes like a severed limb. What is in that place penetrated by the dart that makes my heart ripen? beautiful abscess in the tomb. I feel pain in every pore of my acetylene brain, striped heat of my fragile seed. Why age away from you? So this one is called A Myriad of More Deaths. The star-filled night extends over the forest. I sleep with open eyes fascinated by the wall. I know so many tricks of thickets of asphodels with long resident, resonant pistols, ready for anything armed to please me. So many emerald wounds, so many guilty actions with forgotten names, so many unmasked suns, ominous yawners in the mist who wait for the single hour to dive. At night, I submit caught in the abyss with the barbaric kill. I leave my home, happy to escape the historic stage, to throw away my dresses, crumpled by too many hasty hands, even my convictions in their shining grids. I forget. I no longer wait for vulgar affection. I cross moons, deserts, lakes. I am the animal of the night. Madness, says the man, to dream like this, you will lose your diamond, the corridors of space, filled with final forms who need the sleepwalker and feed on his flesh. You'll see your black pubis pinned to the diagonal rock, madwoman disheveled by the awful stench. You will die in the abyss. I like to prowl at night fall from above on a stone vendor to slit his throat and drink the delicious accent of his voice. Listen. The damned are at the table in their pathetic glass cabins. I like to discourage. At dawn, an old carp takes over. The sky lifts its mother of pearl button chest. I fall asleep for good on my colossal pillow. A trickle of blood tarnishes the emery of the lapidary. The large vertical mouth announces tomorrow is here. Endlessly midnight. Finally, news from the river. The radiant waters shout Hosanna. My eyes disappear in jolts. Yes, with spasms caught by the frankness of the wave. 
The powers of mistakes pace on the ground that lines the two rivers. Narrow wisdom of the Cossacks with glowing wounds of stained glass. I wait for the scythe, and the beautiful polonia in my ransacked garden surrounds the sky with its musical foliage. Such is the wisdom of shadow. The woman howled. Why hide her breasts? The water would only know how to work in the absurd. Let me blow on their fine points with my mouth of Mongolian twigs, gushing with a harsh thought. Follow me, horse clitoris, pink hedgehog of the desert. Break your tiaras, crush your proud birds. I am all that is left of your mother. <clears throat> I now embody other people that were armed with mistletoe and commas more dangerous and mutilating than many weapons of war. Eager for big words, the woman whispered, do you still love me? Do you see the death squads of tradition and their shrines devoted to bones of dogs will pour their meals, their scraps, their Rebecca's in the forbidden zone of the cigar. But what will become of the materialistic experience? Men backed up against the lotus, care nothing for our thorns, totemic. From which corner of the void will the dark fontanelle arrive? From which beastly obelisk will the foreskin fall? The sad and dimmed eye of the feminine nipple must know. I buried my image in the open eyes of the flesh. And the woman on the topsoil let fall her lightning mask in the grave of her mirror. To the east, the sun ambles, draped in words without smell. The offers of surrender, flamethrowers and needlework who are always describing God. The two shores are curved, fertile. I stay there fascinated, my look fixed, my stomach gloomy, cursing my great hunger for your sex, locked away by family. I still see the circular escarpment of the cliffs, cruel, pathetic ruins of so many facades placed on the other side of the fever. Also, I will no longer resist the urge, and yet I finally fall asleep. My gladiola turned off between four front teeth, like the corridor of a train that flees your skinny rodent legs. Increase my sickness of the sea. <clears throat> and yet, I finally fall asleep. One hand in the bucket where the nettles growl, the other on my pubis with fluid boundaries and procrastinations of girls. Which one is my country? A small yellow branch in the furnace of your chest. I also like it, says the monk. The hard poison of the owl, the half blind with rough pupils that gets ahead of the glasses, slowly, slowly wavering around its orbit, the bushy spider. My path forks around your finger, 
The marrow falls fluffily on the familiar badger. It's cold in the cupboard, says the pearl. My stomach is made of wax. So is my lateness in the schedule. A green lapping desire stretches its vertical towards the wax. Recognize, look, yield, and listen to the spider eating the pearl. Oh, unobtainable sound of a distant voice. In a thousand years, you will know that there is more passion in the muff of a Jewess than in the open work of the plain. I am the stone that weighs between your legs, stone suffering from the greenery, teasing, stone of your burning sign, stone of your beaten skull. I am the giggles of lost opportunity. I am the fugitive running between the walls of his hurt. I am the dark ring of your vast clearing. I am the bars that bruise your reason. I am the free road and the flesh. Fainted, cramps, scissors, house. In the sad lateral street of the probe, why do your freckles go pale? My teeth are inactive. The crystalline din of small branches that entwine with their tender injuries, your soft boots, does not enter the arena of your small ear. I hope you are suffering, far from my breath and the network of tigers in my hand, that your bust changes in appearance, crimson from the ice. Your fugue will be my discipline, your dome my sun reddened by the bites of the ether. Come drum in the hollow of my knees, the sad reality of the hour. Come take possession of my decorations, of my horse ants with buoyant feet to the tiny wound of a blonde. Come take possession of my suicide. You will dirty my pillow with your lymph words. The advertising will dilate the pupils of your eyes without the help of fellatio, poetic. Without banning the sex from the ground, why hold the hand of a corpse? Why suffer the mythical cancer of time past? Will overturn the stones on the unjust beach? Why chase the tide off the coast of the last earth? Erase the contours of grandiose Mexico. When in my heart, the luscious wave of the Orient sparkles. One day I will let go of the handrail and my poppy skirts will glide in the sky like an earth. I am in pain, frothing from the squall. I hear the song of your flute. It slips on the blade like a wounded man on the ice flow. I am listening. The soft rumor of your cursed tongue vibrates in the path of my glebe. I am in pain, but the watchman passes by. <clears throat> okay, so these uh, last two are from Still Flames. 
The waters of that country never flow. The sailors never fear the storm. The women no longer initiate the dances of childhood. Their dissonant homes drift as much as their ships. Blind, they dive under the snow. Blind, they spill back into the springtime surf, confusing the weather with passing time. But the perfectly circumscribed nest asphyxiates. The rain and good sheets sit on the eggs of the serpent. Let go of all hope, the northern wind is quiet. The white eyes of oblivion are set forever, and the stranger will never return from exile. <clears throat> to burn incense in the quiet of a room. To burn incense in the quiet of a room, far behind the reefs of a chaotic day. To follow long tales dressed in black in the graveyard where sleep the bygone years. To mourn the dead who bloom like Parma hams. To dig the wrinkles in the fields. To pierce the stagnant eye of the night. To embrace the foot of an alpinist pope or lap the oil that oozes from the idol's sore, from too much stroking. All this tires me out, exasperates me. Nothing beats a good dose of rage when leaving, because the foot makes the path, wears the rock down, and knocks over the totem that, that teeters in the tropical fear of the churches. One must drown the rooster at birth, prevent the blind from leading the train. The prairies of death fluttering with greasy papers line our dreams with their high screams. All the more reason to laugh about it. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you, Emily. Um, so yeah, I thought, we would uh, we would try to do a little Q and A. If anyone has any questions they want to uh, direct our way, um, uh, please do so in the chat. Uh, otherwise, uh, I will just uh, uh, launch a few myself. So um, I guess I wanted to uh, just ask you to tell people, as you talk about it a bit in your introduction, how you came across Joyce Mansour and what drew you to her, to her work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, at the time, I was uh, um, I was enrolled in a writing program, and uh, um, I was taking a, a literary translate translation course. And um, I had the I think for me the greatest challenge of that course was actually finding um, the right material. Right. I think yeah. uh, I think that's always a challenge for a translator is to kind of you know there's there's so much wonderful work out there where do you begin right where do you even begin and um yeah. and so i was sort of in this uh beginning this search i was like i you know i didn't even i didn't even know where to begin and um it, it was in 2017 in the fall of 2017 uh when the me too movement um just sort of went completely viral yeah um and 
uh, obviously that movement, like with many people resonated immensely with me um, and just sort of the revelations that were coming through on a daily basis at the time I was, you know, especially in the cultural industry in terms of uh, voices being silenced, um, you know, um, being ignored, uh, being coerced. Uh, and so at that point, I knew that I needed to look for uh, a woman, um, a woman writer who, um, who in a way maybe had refused to be silenced. And um, so, you know, who had put her thoughts to paper and perhaps, you know, in very likely had been ignored or had not given been given the kind of attention that she deserved uh, for uh, speaking her truth or for um, sort of writing outside of the outside of the accepted, you know, um, of what was accepted at, in her time, right? So I, I went looking, you know, I knew that um, even today people are being silenced that, you know, like even to, I went looking in the last maybe 100, 150 years or more in French literature. Um, and I did find some really very interesting voices, right? Uh, Joyce Monsour wasn't the only one, but uh, there was just something about her work that for me was just so uh, raw, uncensored, um, and so rich, like very rich in terms of uh, references um, that she that she puts into her work. So, um, and and the more I discovered about her life, uh, the more interested I was in her work, right? Um, yeah. um, because there's, you know, some of that poetry there, you know, it's not, there's not a, always a narrative, but there's, there's, there's certain things coming through um, in that poetry that, um, that I was really intrigued by. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I found her and started exploring more of her work, I knew that this was, um, this was the author that I, that I was, that I needed to translate. Um, and, and on top of that, it, it's just, I found it, um, I enjoyed translating her work. Uh, it's, um, it's a very, interesting experience to to translate her work yeah okay well um just because i'm seeing this question now and it, it's a good good branch off what we just talked about is uh, from uh chris tish who i know is also a poet asks uh what were the biggest challenges to translating her poetry like what 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 do, what yeah what particular challenges does a poet like her bring up for, to for yeah her? um well sometimes um, there, there were several, obviously. Um, <clears throat> she's, she's very witty. She does a lot of play on words, um, which sometimes I wasn't able to sort of translate through, right? Um, yeah. um, so that was, you know, just sort of the, the French to English um, aspect of it. Um, but um, the other thing was that she also sometimes makes references to, to sort of cultural elements from like 1950s France, um, yeah. which I, I am half French, um, but, you know, it's, there are some very specific, like, like Carré Blanc, for example, or the White Square. Um, I discovered that this is in reference to uh, at the time in France, when when there was any kind of sort of um, nudity, for example, on TV, yeah. there would be a white square that would cover up genitals, right? So it's kind of like 
in a way it, that that refers to censorship, right? Um, uh, yeah. So just kind of finding out, um, digging really, sometimes I had to go dig deeply into some of what she was saying, because there are these references from from her time. Um, I think the other thing is there there is, um, French can be a very erotic language. Um, yeah. And I, you know, English is a very, um, when it comes to like body parts, um, the choice tends to be scientific or vulgar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that was another challenge, right? It's like, we, we don't have these extra, like very poetic terms um, for, yeah. for our bodies. Right. So that was a, yeah. another big challenge that, that I was coming up against as well. Yeah. Cause like, just like the, the French word sex to refer to genitals. Yeah. Like no real equivalent. In That's right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of no real equivalence, right? And yeah. and they have many many uh, many words that, and sometimes they're just very subtle, right? They're very subtle references to um, to genitals, or yeah. but you know, and but it's there still. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, it's that's that's more of a challenge in English for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, actually, I saw another good question. I, um, that I would uh, come in, uh, David Solo asking us uh, about the uh, about the the books you did with visual artists, uh, and if if these were things that that she sought out or were um, you know were uh, you know solicited or what have you, and I'm not sure how much you know about that. I mean, I could say a couple of things or. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I know a little bit, but I mean, sure. I, I'd say you go first and then well, uh, I'll yeah. see if I can. Yeah. I would just say that, um, I think a lot of her collaborations, they seem pretty organic, you know, because they tend to be with painters that like, you see like the list of who are the close friends, surrealists that she hung out with and who are the people she did books with. They tend to be the same, same people. Like she, I think she did more than one book with, uh, Pierre Alachinsky. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were, they were pretty close, but like, you know, talking to, say, uh, uh, Joyce Mansour's son Cyril, he he would say, he would say like, oh, ask, ask him about the photograph by Jorge Camacho for you know permissions and stuff, and he's like, Jorge is part of our family, we can use it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. so that's so that's my impression. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about. Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 would also be my impression. And just also that her work is just so um, there's so much imagery, so that it really does lend itself very well to uh, visual art. Um, so I think those, I think, as you say, those collaborations were really very organic, that, you know, people would sort of look at this and look, read her poetry and be like, wow, I can, I can visualize this, right? Yeah, yeah. And um uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, she, she's, she's, uh, she, she, her work lends itself to this type of collaboration in a way that uh, surrealism sort of historically did. Like, yeah. I'm interested in, you know, one of the things about Mansour, even though there are all these plays on words and stuff, as you say, and they're very subtle. That's, that's the thing, I guess. They're very subtle in the mm. sense that, you know, a lot of surrealist uh, poetry is very Baroque. And she's very spare for the most part. Occasionally, mm -hmm. there's something baroque 
float floats up or a phrase like emerald wounds. It's one of the reasons I like the choice of that as a title because it's kind of not what she would have done in a way. You know, she was always going for something spare, like Cree, you know, one word. Yeah. Title. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think this sort of goes back to what her, I mean, even, you know, that first collection of poems screams, right? It goes back to what, how she envisioned poetry, which is, um, she didn't see it for the sake of creating beauty, but rather as a way to just kind of, um, like, speak your rawest truth in a way, right? Um, Like, it's, for her, poetry is a scream, right? And it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, embellished. It doesn't, that's not, I get, I think that's not how she saw poetry. It was more, as she says, you know, it's sort of this, the soul escaping, um, at the moment of death. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's very, you know, her French is for the most part, is very plain the way that like, you know, she is writing in a second language and the way that like say Samuel Beckett used French to force himself to have a completely plain style mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. i think didn't Cyril mentioned to us at one point about how you know how making sure her french was correct here and there you know because she she comes at it from far outside of it yeah yeah and i mean perhaps if she had um yeah there's maybe a bit more purity even because she's coming from it from an outside an outsider so she doesn't have like perhaps as much um you know, how do you say like freedom or to sort of add on and embellish? Um, yeah. It has to stay pure, right? In a sense, um, because it's it's her second language. Um, but yeah, Cyril had, um, or I think I had also um, read that Cyril, who is her uh, her eldest son, I believe, um, he because it was her second language, or even yeah, third actually, because she spoke Arabic. Okay. Um, uh, that uh, he he was enlisted to to correct her grammar, right? So um, in French, because yeah. you know, obviously she learned it in her twenties. Uh, um, so she needed somebody to help her with her grammar. Yeah, so. and Cyril was actually born in Paris too. Like, yeah, I think Cyril's a younger actually, because I think the oh yeah, because okay. I think the other brother whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, I feel uh, like it might be Philippe, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, Philippe. I feel like yeah? okay. Philippe, Philippe maybe was born in in Cairo when they were going back and forth, and and um, and Cyril was born in France. So I mean, he he's a native uh, French speaker, native Parisian, you know, even though he still has the background, her exotic background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, one thing I wanted to ask too. Uh, you know, um, Stacy mentioned in the comments that if we talked about connecting to make this this book project, and maybe just just start by um, how do you, how do you initially get in touch with Cyril? Like, how do, is there any kind of story behind that? Or I realize I never even asked you. Yeah, yeah. How do you get to know? Well, I um, I think we actually I had his his wife. Uh, has written a biography um, of Mansour. Yeah. Uh, so I think it might have been through his wife that I okay. first got in touch. Um, 
And I don't know if I knew that they were married, but I, I think I must have. I have a feeling I did, but um, that I that's I sort of kind of um, had to go from like dot to dot. Like, okay, yeah. here's this book. Oh, who's it written by? Okay, this. Okay, she's like maybe she's married to Cyril. So, um, so it was you know, and that's interesting in and of itself is that her daughter-in-law, you know, also had this very um big interest in her life and ended up I think she did her PhD on uh she did her PhD thesis on Joyce Mossour. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and that speaks also to at least I mean you're you're fully bilingual and can inhabit that world, but in English there has not been any this is the first real accounting of any detail of her life in English. Like, you know, she hasn't really been covered in that sense, like, um, as far as I know, I haven't, I, you know, and I, <laughs> I bought all the Joyce Mansour I could get my hands yeah. on. Translation. No, you're right. Um, yeah. And, and even in French, like there, it's hard to dig up. Like, uh, you know, I had to get, enlist somebody to go to, um, you know, a university library, the Toronto University Library of Toronto to get a book, at, to get um, the biography out because it wasn't available even on Amazon or anything. So yeah. um, in French, it's it's hard to get a hold of. I mean, you can get a hold of it. It's difficult and challenging, but there isn't, it's true, there isn't, to my knowledge, uh, anything up until this book, um, anything extensive written about her life um, or her biography in English. And which is, you know, I'm glad that we're doing that because there is, it's such an interesting life. Um, and it's, it's such an interesting point of view that she has, yeah. right? So to, you know, to have that accompany her poetry so that it gives us context um, to, to her life, to what shaped her as an artist um, <clears throat> uh, and the kind of life that she led um, uh, is, it's very interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we should mention, I mean, that's one, one of the, perks of our book too is that you know the French right now her main body of work is out of print like there's not you know the, you can probably there might be a standalone edition of Cree or something like that but like that's you know that's collected poems that we used is not in print which is a shame because she's such an important poet so mm -hmm. it's even more important than it otherwise would be for a book in the United States to have her French uh, in this volume. You know, yeah, so people can get to it. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's also the other aspect of when I was when I found her and I, I, I found how, like, I discovered how difficult it was to obtain her, her work to get her books, um, how most of them, so many were out of print. Um, I probably got one of the last copies of her collected works in French in yeah. 2017. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I was like, oh, at least this is available. But like, you know, a couple years later, later, it's impossible to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, so that I, I found that I was kind of shocked by that because, and obviously, um, well, shocked, but also maybe not shocked. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, it's it was it's a shame because it was a shame, and and I'm glad that we're rectifying that. Yeah. Um, I was really shocked too, just in the sense that. You know, I come at French poetry largely through surrealism, you know, at least 20th century French poetry. 
So, and she's a very important figure. So I just assumed she was an important, considered an important French poet. And just to know that, like, you know, that book is less than 10 years old, the uh, the, the most recent collected, mm-hmm. and it can't get it is really, uh, you know, it's just, it's a bad. So I'm glad that we're making some, uh, some noise on her behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as someone who I, you know, I, I did receive a French education, um, Mm. like through the French curriculum. And I mean, in a way I was, I was, you know, when I discovered her, I was, I was kind of angry because I was like, you know, this is, there's such a rich voice here. And I mean, never, I, I don't think ever she would have made it onto the, you know, the curriculum right? Just because yeah. it's it's so concerned, like the mindset is very conservative. It's like, this is what poetry is. And the rest is just kind of, you know, and so um, I mean, I, in, like I said, I wasn't entirely surprised, but I also was like, this needs to change. And, you know, we are in a historical moment now where we're coming to realize that um, the bias with which we many of us do navigate um or even you know certain the the cultural industry um uh chooses who gets to uh you know who gets the platform and who doesn't right yeah, and yeah. so um yeah i'm you know and i like it for me i i was very happy to find her very happy to translate her i was excited that she got you know that the my article got picked up by the rumpus um, and so like, you know, when this turned into a book I, that to me, that's just a kind of the, um, you know, I never imagined it, but it's, it's such a great, it's such a, a great thing to have now that it's, it's gone. It's that had that journey. Yeah. We've gone. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very, it's very satisfying to see yeah. actually hold after all, you know, cause it was a lot, you know, not every book goes as I and mean, we, we started talking to each other in 2019 probably yeah you know yeah. so it's not every book takes this long usually but you know it's complicated <laughs> doing a translation of mm-hmm. something so uh um so yeah I think I think we should probably wrap it up just because we're we're getting close to the hour mark and I think we hit we hit most of the questions that came into the the group chat so uh Peter if you'd like to to uh take us on out Sure. Well, I really want to thank both of you for a very compelling talk and reading. And thank you, Garrett, for doing the honors. And Emily, thank you for that very luscious and very transinducing reading. And also really bringing to light the Mensur work. Uh, you've done a great, great service. So I also want to thank all of you in the audience for joining us and helping complete the circle. As always, I'd like to remind everybody we have posted links in the chat of your Zoom dashboard with which you may purchase copies of Emerald Wounds. Um, Better yet, if you're in the hood, come on down, browse our stacks, visit the store. Uh, We're open for business seven days a week. We're open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., getting back to our pre-pandemic hours. Also want to point out that City Lights is now celebrating its 70th anniversary in 2023. We're going to be featuring a special calendar of events that's going to be running through to the end of the year. It's going to include both live in-store and online events. We're going to be having poetry readings, historic tours, or discussions, talks, much, much more. So keep an eye on our events calendar for pending announcements. Today's event has been made possible by support from the City Lights Foundation, continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, through public events like this one, our publishing program, and educational outreach, all 
dedicated to sustaining a vibrant community of readers, writers, and independent thinkers. So long, everyone. Please take care. Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you all again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.